Welcome to a new episode of AW Confidential. If you know me, you know how much I enjoy the art of wine. And yes, it is an art. And when I get the opportunity to support a woman or any women in this industry or an industry that we know it to be male dominated, it's a huge bonus. Dr. Laura Catena always saw wine as more than a beverage. It, is, it was educational and purposeful. In a sea of wine lovers around the world, her passion for wines has helped her take her father's vision of 30 years ago to create some iconic wines. Catena Zapata is the oldest Argenti Argentine family winery founded in 1902. Their wines have more, more 100 point ratings than any other wine in South America. Dr. Laura Catena is a fourth generation vintner and managing director of Catena Zapata in Mendoza, Argentina, which was voted one of the world's best vineyards to visit in 2023. Hopefully I will get there. Laura is with us today to share a bit about her journey and hopefully offer some of her best recommendations. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much, Yvette. I have to correct one little thing, which yes, is please. we were actually chosen by this group of 500 food and wine lovers as the number one world's best vineyard. It was a ranking of the 50 best by the same people who do 50 best restaurants. And we were chosen 2023 number one. Well, yeah. I am so honored. <laughs> that is that is that is it's huge. Crazy. That is huge. It's huge. It's, it's huge. Last year was Antinori, you know world famous and wine. i love antinori right we all love <laughs> yes. antinori and then this year with catena i call it catenita zapata because i can't <laughs> believe it but and then you're only chosen number one one year and that's why i corrected oh, you because wow. next year it'll be another winery so we only have to do number one it's like oh. miss america you know <laughs> oh wow i didn't know that and on that note just congratulations i mean Thank that you. recognition and all the accolades that you know Catena um, has had is is it's such an honor to have you here today. So thank you so much. As a wine lover, I speak for all my thank wine you. lovers thank out you. there. Thank you. And and as a Latina, Hispanic, Latinez, Latinx, I think it's 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 just it has to be recognized. So thank, thank you for you. being thank here. You. Now, I, I as I mentioned before, we jumped on. I love your story. You left Argentina without speaking a word of English. No, no, I you, spoke. A, I spoke. A you bit. spoke a I little bit of English. I, just, I spoke some English. I just couldn't write it, but I, okay. I could speak English a little bit because my dad had uh, studied in New York at Columbia when I was two years old. So uh, I, I, I did speak some English. I just, I, I did not write it very well. But. You came to the U.S. and you actually went to Harvard and received a medical degree. Very different from the wine business. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. And then I read that you fell in love with wine on a trip to Bordeaux, France. Is that right? Yes, that's true. That's true. I went, I went uh, to Bordeaux with my father as his translator because I had studied <laughs> French. And everybody said, you know, why are you studying French? You don't really need to speak French. You speak Spanish. You speak English. At that point, my English was better. 
And I just wanted to learn French because I thought uh, the, the books of Sartre and Camus were beautiful, the existentialist uh, authors. But then it ended up being really useful because now we have partnerships with uh, a winery in, in France, a very famous winery, Chateau Lafitte, the, the owners of Chateau Lafitte. Uh, we have a partnership with them. And then we sell wine through a network of French uh, negociants. Negotiations. Well, you, so, you have yeah. to, you have to learn Italian now. <laughs> I, I actually I actually learned Italian. I, oh my I, gosh! <laughs> I, I, I I taught it to myself by books. You know, now you have all these wow. amazing apps and yeah. things, but it's actually a lot easier to learn Italian when you speak Spanish. So I I did a little cheating. <laughs> that that is a, that is, that is a good point. Over the summer, I went to Italy. And I felt I could defend myself. Yes, then I went yes. to Paris and, uh, you know, and I had two, yeah. two high school, you know, two years of high school French. It, yeah, it yeah. wasn't helpful at all. So you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. Now, yeah. it was hard to, now you actually oversee the operations at Catena, yes. is that right? Yeah, I'm in Buenos Aires right now, actually, at our office in Buenos Aires, yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. I don't know what time it is there, but... <laughs> Thank it's, you. It's okay. It's it's uh 1 p.m. 1 okay, 10. Perfect. Now this I you know this it has been a journey for you, and yeah. one of the things that I read and and I appreciated as a woman, um I read that when early on when your children were younger and you were trying to do all this work, you had them in school in San Francisco, San Francisco in Argentina, and you went. It, they yes. sort of split they their time half and half. Places. Yes, crazy. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, just everything that I've read, it feels like you have made the unconventional work for you. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's admirable because I'm sure that you've had some challenges and have had to wear different hats along the way. Yeah. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I now look back and I say, how did I manage to be a practicing emergency doctor and running this winery? But, you know, I think we humans, we kind of rise to the occasion, or at least we try. And that's uh, what I did. And it was very important for me that my children really grow up bicultural, that they feel very Argentine and they also feel American. My husband is American. And so that's part of their culture as well. And I, I think pretty much accomplished the goal, but it was pretty crazy uh, many times, you know. I, I'll tell you one time, you know how, now that I don't have kids, I don't like kids <laughs> crying on the plane, which is really awful. I feel like such a hypocrite. You're, when you're I not the children, only one. I, children, <laughs> why are these people upset that my child is crying? And now I'm that person. And now I, I like dogs. I want to be sitting next to people with dogs. Okay, so one time I told my kids, I'm so tired. I had the three of them, the the two boys, the oldest one um, might have been something like nine, and my daughter was two, and the other one was four. And I said to the oldest, I said, you're watching your sister, and I was sitting there in the middle between them. And at one point, I hear somebody tapping me on the shoulder, and my daughter had decided to throw food to the person behind her. I, I'm still embarrassed by this, thinking, what kind of a mother or person am I? And the person was actually really kind. Can you believe it? I would have been very upset. Can you imagine some kid throwing food at you? But anyhow, so I had a lot of moments of great embarrassment and 
you know, uh, I never miss a shift in the hospital. Just one time I got confused and I happened to be at a birthday party for a kid and I ran and I made it within half an hour. But I had a lot of close calls because when you're doing so many things, you do tend to sometimes forget something and you can't miss Absolutely. a shift. Absolutely. You're human. Yeah. So I have missed human. a few flights in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, if first. that's. And, and I'm, I'm curious about that because we're talking about challenges that we encounter. So one of one of the things that I really want to ask is, I think when one of the biggest challenges we encounter in business is yes. figuring out what the world needs and then creating it. I think that's yes. how it works. Sometimes yes, we have yes, an idea. Yes. And yes. so I would never think to connect medicine, you know, wine, these very two different worlds. Can yeah. the first part of my question is, can you recall your thought process as you prepared for this pivot? Because it's a yeah. significant pivot. Yeah. Well, you know, I did both together for a long time. And, wow. you know, people at the winery knew they could not call me on my days I was in the hospital. Everybody had my Google calendar. And those were, you know, days no calls for Laura, which was non-sustainable because you can't run a business and not be available when it's your business you have to be available all the time on vacation nighttime whatever uh, but um i did uh take my time deciding to do both and basically i love i love medicine I, I still love being a doctor i'm still a doctor to all my friends i love getting medical wow. questions you know sometimes you're i'm at a party and somebody will say oh i'm sure you get asked this all the time and it probably really bothers you but can you tell me what you think about this rash I love wow. getting questions like that. I love rashes. I love <laughs> to try to figure out what a rash is, especially if I can fix it and it's easy. And so I love medicine and I love practicing medicine for so long. Uh, and then I fell in love with wine, mostly as a consumer. And that's why I really love doing wine tastings with people that are not in the industry because people love wine. Wine tastes so good. It makes you happy. It's got all this history in a bottle, the history of a family, of a place. There's nothing more interesting than wine to me. There, there really isn't. Uh, and so I love that. But I learned first about wine as a consumer because I used to go with my father to France as his translator. I had no intention of ever working with him. I used to go to wine tastings at wine stores when they would have a producer and I would be, you know, one more person in, in the, the row of chairs tasting and listening. Wow. And I fell in love with wine that way. And so when... It came time to work for the family. It wasn't on purpose. Basically, I went to this wine tasting that my dad asked me to go because it was the first time that a South American winery was invited to this very prestigious event, the New York Wine Experience, run by Wine Spectator in New York. And I was at my little booth. This was 1995, a long time ago. And people <laughs> would just not even taste my wine because they didn't recognize Argentina as a country they knew. They would go to the French wineries, the Italian, the U.S. wineries. And I realized that this dream of my father's to put Argentina in the wine world map was an impossible dream. So I, I went into wine to help my father and I did have the wine bug, you know, so so <laughs> it, it wasn't some big sacrifice. And then I fell in love with wine, but then I, I didn't really want to leave medicine because I love both. And I did both for 25 plus years. Uh, but it's amazing. It's really a gradual one because at first really... You know, I, I loved wine, but I didn't know anything. So I couldn't really see myself doing wine. You know, if you don't know anything about something, you know, how, how can you be, you know, working in it? So I had a, a long process of learning. 
and um and and it was fun you know because i was working for a family business it was fun to have my thing which was medicine where i you know i was an attending physician i was running an emergency department i was you know in in a pretty you know good position where it was my own thing and then i could learn with my father and then when i was ready i i, I could run the show for the family and i think you know that's something i advise I advise to people whose families have maybe, you know, wine business of any sort, you know, maybe a store, any kind of business um, that, you know, do your own thing for a while, you know, get your confidence, learn how to be a boss, learn how to have a boss, and then go into the family business. I love that. I love that. Now, it would seem to me and correct me if I'm wrong, that along this journey, you took some calculated risks. And you did go after spaces where you saw a need. So among them, yeah. and I, I have to mention them, you used your science background to elevate wine. You yeah. um, have books to raise awareness about the quality yeah. and character yeah. of high-altitude Argentine wine. And your current passion is teaching the wine trade and wine lovers how to drink in moderation. I, I mean... Why is using, you know, medicine to educate people and the wine industry so important to you? Uh, yeah. Because that's yeah. a beautiful, yeah. um, that you're doing really amazing work. Yeah, that, no, this work of moderation is very important. Well, I'll tell you a story Yvette, about when I started working with my father. Uh, you know, I was an emergency physician, so I saw a lot of alcoholism. I, I mm. saw accidents that happened because somebody was drunk driving. I saw a lot of bad things around alcohol. And so I went to my dad and I said, Papa, you know, um, I'm a little worried about our family business. You know, how do you feel about, you know, making this thing that, you know, is good for many people, but also causes some harm? And my, my dad, like, Laurita, you have nothing to worry about. And I say, what do you mean? He says, at Catena, we make fine wine and there are no fine wine alcoholics. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, I think there's some truth that, um, you know, the more you're into the history of wine, the taste of wine, sipping it slowly with food, the more moderation is part of, of your culture. And, and in my culture in Argentina, it's, it's very unacceptable to get drunk. People really do drink in moderation as part of the cultural norm. And if you think of the Mediterranean diet, you know, the Mediterranean diet is, you know, one glass of wine per day with your dinner and maybe you know, a glass of white with lunch in the olden days, but this was much lower alcohol wine. Um, and so it's really wine in moderation, not even alcohol. It's a wine in moderation, which, you know, doesn't have really high alcohol. And so, you know, my, my father said that, and then, you know, I went to work with him and, you know, I, I wasn't thinking a lot about moderation other than every time I do a wine tasting, I tell people what moderation is. I have it as a rule. I don't do a wine tasting without talking about moderation and, and how to consume wine so that it's actually good for your health. Um, so that, that I've been doing for, you know, 25 years. But what I did realize early on was that I could help as many people making wine as I could as a, as a doctor. Why? Because what we did, our family, elevating the quality of Argentine wine and the recognition of Argentine wine, that gave jobs to millions of people. And also, if you're producing wine as a commodity, like, you know, that it's just all the wines the same, like, you know, like ketchup, you know, I, I mean, I love ketchup, but there's not that many brands of ketchup, right? There's like one or two uh, because it all kind of tastes similar. Uh, 
I hope there's no ketchup people listening to me. I know, but, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you need is the fries, right? Uh, the fries are important. Uh, but, you know, uh, wine is so different. Uh, and high-end wine takes a lot of effort. You have to study the vineyards. You have to have uh, really good barrels. You have to be planting the vineyards in the correct place. You know, we have lots of acres, but only about 15% of the vineyards we have are of the top, top quality, the ones getting the 100 points. That's a small percentage of vineyards because really there are some places where you plant that are a lot better than others. I mean, you know that, you know, like Rutherford, Stag's Leap, um, Tokalone Vineyard in the Napa Valley that many people know, the, the famous vineyards in Burgundy, something like Chateau Lafitte that, you know, that is owned by these partners we have in Argentina. So um, what I realized was that by elevating the prestige of Argentine wine, then people could make finer wine and they could make more money and we could feed more people and more people could send their, their kids to college and more people could buy a house and, you know, more people could afford, you know, a nicer car that's safer, you know, and better food. And so what I realized was that when you run a responsible business and we've actually brought a sustainability code that today is used by everybody in Argentina, by all the wineries, we brought it to Argentina. We, we do a lot of work sharing our research at the Institute with all the other producers. If you're a very responsible business person, look at you. I mean, you have a business that you help people. Like every day you're, you're helping thousands of people. A very responsible business that's there also to make money because you know we have to support ourselves too, is elevating the lives of other people. And that is just as worthy as being a doctor or a teacher, which, you know, or a nurse, which are you know the traditional helping people professions. And once I realized that, I thought, wow, you know, I really need to be good at this, uh, you know, elevating Argentine wine thing, because you know, all these people depend on me. I, 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 I had to write these books to elevate the, the the knowledge of the Malbec variety. And I mean, it's just it's your thinking outside the box that you that appeals to me so much because we're trained to be a certain way, you know, we will think a certain way. So I, yeah. I have a lot of ad admiration for what you're doing. So thank you for all that work. Now, Catena wines are among the world's most highly rated. And, you know, we I have to make sure that I include that, you know, Anyone who knows the industry or, or loves wine or reads about it knows that it's a male-dominated industry. I think to this day, um, there hasn't been just great change. There's been some change, but um, within that environment, you have delivered huge wins along with your team. And I, I was curious, what has been the greatest lesson that you have learned while working in a heaven, heaven, heavenly male environment? And what have you learned about yourself? Oh, that, those are two very different questions. Well, I did start in wine coming from medicine and medicine is very co-ed. You know, you have a lot of women in medicine. In fact, today there's more women graduating from medical school than men. So there, there will be a future where there'll probably be more women doctors. And so I was coming from a, from a profession where there was a lot of equality. And I think that was really good because I was already accustomed to being at the same level as a man in my profession. And it was interesting because there were very few women in wine in Argentina or anywhere when I started, you know, uh, there would maybe be 
one of the people in the lab would be a woman, but really it was mostly men. And, um, you know, in a way I, I kind of went in fast because I was my father's daughter and I was always very conscious of that. You know, I didn't want to, to be somebody that got the job because I was part of the family. You know, nepotism is, is my worst enemy. I, you know, I really think people should earn what they have. And, uh, and so I came in though for medicine I was fairly confident, uh, but really, I think my father was a big part of why I felt supported because he he, he had a mother, uh, Angelica Zapata, we have a, a wine named after her, that uh, was the headmistress of the local school. And she thought that education was the most important thing. She had two sons and two daughters, and she was just as tough academically on the sons and the daughters. She thought, you know, women could work. And, you know, we're talking 1930s, you know, 40s, like, that was a, a whole bunch, you know, much even revolution era. Yeah. <laughs> so he grew up with this very strong woman. My mom is a very strong woman. She runs a company. And so for my father was automatically to think that I could run the company. And that was very novel because there were no other uh, female CEOs in Argentina running uh, wine businesses and very few around the world. I think now the situation has changed a lot because there's a lot of family wineries and, you know, families have daughters and often the daughter's more interested than the son, or maybe families have only daughters like the Antinori family we were talking about is three daughters. So the daughters are running the business because there's no brother. I mean, I don't even want to think what would happen in that family if there was a, a brother, who knows? Um, but, um, you know, so I think it's, it's kind of fun the way the wine business is changing because of the family aspect of it. Um, how have I changed? You know, when I started in, in the world of wine, I didn't want to be invited as the one woman, you know, there would be a panel and I would see that I was invited maybe more because I was a woman. I would feel, you know, I want to be invited for who I am. You know, maybe that's why I've written so many books and, and, and done so many things, you know, trying to prove that, Hey, I'm a, a person first and, you know, a woman second. However, I feel like these new generations of women, like you, my daughter, I have an 18 year old daughter, love uh, the camaraderie of women, just like men over the centuries and thousands of years, you know, they have all these men's clubs. My husband plays golf and he's in a, one of these clubs is an all men. And, you know, when I was in college, I mean, I would have told you any man that's in an all men club, that's terrible. You know, like, <laughs> why do you need an all man club? And I watch my husband with his guy friends playing golf and they're so happy. I. I'm totally fine with an all-men club. I think that's great. Do whatever you want. And I'm also really happy with my all-women groups sometimes. You know, you get together with your girlfriends. You don't want a guy in the group. You just want to be you and your girlfriends, right? And so what I what I discovered about myself doing this was that actually there's need for both. We work with men so well. Co-ed groups are the best. My The guys that I work with love having women on their team and vice versa. We love mixed teams. The the more 50-50 you can get on a team, the better the team's going to work. I, I really believe in that. On the other hand, I really like to mentor women and men, but you know, I, I take a little extra care with the women. I, I want to make sure that they they get everything I have that I can teach them uh, because you know they're they're going to have things happen to them that are different than what are going what's going to happen to men. And I have specific knowledge that I can give them. And so now I I feel like sometimes I'm invited to a conference that's all women. You know, and I'm fine with that. I think that's great because we do have some different sorts of experiences and men do too. And 
I think it's totally cool for them to get together and discuss Ben's stuff, you know, why not? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, you did mention that there is change happening, thankfully. I mean, there's a yeah. lot to go. So yeah. for anyone who's listening, I, you know, being the first at anything or doing something different takes faith and courage. And I wanted to know, can you offer advice for anyone looking to make a transition or do something different in their own yeah. lives in, in whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. You know, I just read this really cool book about the creative process that I don't remember the name, but I could send it to you later. Yes. But it, it taught this really simple technique. And I think this applies to anything you're trying to do. It said, first, study and gather your thoughts. And one thing that I do is I have this little book that I carry with me all the time where I just write ideas all the time. And I often wake up in the middle of the night and start writing things. You, A lot of people do that. So then, you know, it'll, I'll write something like, you know, do some research on Malbec in France in the 18th century or, you know, on something that I think is interesting because I'm always writing some book like, you know, wine and health. Every time that I see some article, people send me articles, I, I collect them. So you, you kind of develop your knowledge, you, you, you research. And, you know, for me, you know, I was a doctor. I knew a lot about medicine. You know, I had like five years that I was just studying wine, you know, and, and accumulating knowledge. And then it, this technique says, and then leave it and go do something else. And I think, let's say that you're thinking, okay, what's going to be my next career move? You know, think, 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 but then go on a vacation. Take three days to go hiking and don't think about it at all. And then come back to it and start putting some structure to it. And uh, I think that without the research and the knowledge, you can't do your next move. And I think that also that research and knowledge tells you what's really going on in that field. Let's say you want to go into wine, right? And what, what are you going to do in wine? You can produce, you can do sales, uh, you can be a sommelier at a restaurant, uh, maybe get a part-time job uh, working as a, a at a restaurant, you know, serving wine or a bartender and just see, do you like that? Because a lot of people fantasize about something and then when they're actually doing it, they might not like it as much. And, and then, you know, wine sales, like, do you, do you want to be a salesperson? Do you want to be a salesperson? Do you want to be a buyer? You know, and it's different skill sets for both. So I, I think that anything you can do to, to see what it might be like to have that job before leaving your other job, because uh, there's, you know, there's this rule that from Malcolm Gladwell, that author that writes the outliers and blink, and he's written all these books that you need the, I think it's 10,000 hours to get good at something. And I have heard that. Know, you've heard that. So he always talks about kids that, you know, when they, when they start learning piano or any instrument, and like the first month of lessons, they're in heaven because they're, you know, they're learning little simple things and happy birthday. And it's also entertaining. And then they don't want to do it anymore because then comes the hard work where you have to learn the scales and the movement of the hands. And, and then you're, you're playing really boring stuff. And, you know, you're listening to, to professional piano player and you're saying, oh God, I'll never get there. And then come the 10,000 hours and then you can play at that level. And the same is with a language that you learn with um, anything, you know, being a doctor, uh, your profession event, like doing what you do, that's hard. You you put in, you know, thousands of hours. And so I think that um, you have to realize that there's going to be a while where you acquire knowledge and expertise. And 
if you try to switch right away, you know, let's say you are, you know, a musician and you want to become a winemaker, you know, uh, it's not going to be fun to be a winemaker because you you don't know anything, you know. So that that that'll be the one recommendation is I is like learn that. a lot, do some part time stuff, like maybe help somebody for free. I don't know. Say say to one of your friends that is in, in wine sales, like, hey, can I come help you set up your next wine tasting? Or, you know, like, you know, do some do some volunteer work maybe in the area that you're looking at and see if you're really passionate about it while you accumulate knowledge. So when you start doing it, you know something. That would be the one advice about- That's great um, advice. Yeah. And then the That's other advice, advice I would give is, you know, this is maybe obvious, but I find that anytime that I feel like I'm helping people I can, I work a lot harder because it motivates me, uh, helping people, helping nature, you know, the work we do at the Catena Institute, all this research, you know, it's a lot of work, but I know that I'm helping my country and all these people. And, you know, I'm not a saint. I just, I, I tell you, I, that motivates me and it motivates my team. You know, people want to work in a business that is good, that you're doing good things for other people. It's easier to get up in the morning at 6 a.m. every day if you know you're helping others. And so um, I think that find something that makes you feel like you're helping. You know, we can we all help in different ways, you know, so so make sure there is that that piece of your heart that's satisfied. That is wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one of the things that I love to do at the end of interviews is leave a message with our community. And as a wine lover. And for all those wine lovers who are listening, what would be your best or favorite recommendations of Catena wines? One red, one white. Okay, so we have a wine called the Nicolas Catena Zapata that's named after my father. That is Malbec with Cabernet Sauvignon. So this wine has, you know, the power of the Cabernet Sauvignon, which a lot of people love, like for Napa, from Bordeaux. And it has the velvety tannins of the Malbec. And it's basically the perfect wine because everybody would love it because it's elegant, it's rich, and it's smooth, and it ages really well. So it's it's the wine that I recommend to my friends to collect if they're buying, you know, a couple of bottles uh, for, you know, an anniversary celebration or, you know, a lot of my friends the holidays. buy a case. The holidays, a lot of my friends will buy a case when their kids are born or they'll ask me to give them one as my gift. I, I give often to my friends a gift of wine and you do the vintage of the birth year, and then you you drink it for the first time when the kid turns 18. And you know what I do? I drink it when they turn like five and 10, because I feel like, hey, I'm celebrating their birthday. Of course. <laughs> so drink up your kid. I have a nephew that I have actually bottles from all the vintages of my, my relatives, like all my nieces and nephews. And I have one nephew that's like, Laura, don't drink my wine. You know, and I, I, I was like, okay, you're right. I, I almost did the other day because it's a really good vintage. Uh, so, okay, so the Nicolas Catena Zapata, Cabernet Malbec. And then for the Chardonnay, I would do Catena Alta Chardonnay, which is this Chardonnay that has the minerality from the high altitude, but it's got also this creaminess and you have it mm-hmm. with scallops, with risotto. Um, so it's got, you know, a touch of oak to make it delicious, but not too much. And this is a wine that I take to any party and it's gone. You know, I arrive, I open the bottle, I come back to offer it to somebody and it's gone. So both these two wines, I would highly recommend. 
Well, I'm excited. Laura, thank you so, so much for being here. I've learned so much and I've just been super inspired. Can you make sure you tell our listeners how to find your books, your wines, yeah, yeah. you know, more so, about you? Yeah. So, so basically our wines, Catena, C-A-T-E-N-A, which means connection in Italian. Actually, it's an Italian name because my family uh, came, my great grandfather came from Italy to Argentina. And so our wines, really, you can find them in, you know, like your small sort of specialty wine store in your neighborhood. But we also sell our wines in Total Wine and Costco. Usually they'll have one of our wines. Um, wine.com. Safeway. Right? Oh, wine.com is great. Wine.com yeah. has all our wines. And I, if you want diversity, wine.com. Uh, if you use Vivino, you can usually find all our wines at some, somebody near where you live. Uh, yeah, I mean, our wines are pretty widely distributed. Uh, but if you if there's a special wine like the Catena Alta Chardonnay might not be as widely distributed as the Catena Classic Malbec. So I would go somewhere that has one of our wines and say, hey, can you get me, you know, a case of this or, you know, some other and wine. Your, yeah. And your books so and, and any... So my books, I mean, they're basically, you just put the name Laura Catena, you know, there's Gold in the Vineyard. It finds everything. An illustrated book about wine. I highly recommend that if you're getting into wine because it's 12 different uh, wineries around the world. And I tell you stories that you will never hear in one of those dense, you know, encyclopedic books that are kind of boring. I feel like wine has to be lighthearted. You know, you can read my book with illustrations when you've had a little to drink. Then uh, Malbec Buen Amour is all about Malbec. And then Vino Argentino, is um, sort of a journey to Argentina and Argentine wine. But I mean, Amazon has them, but all other book vendors, you can often find used copies of my book. Vino Argentina you can Google everything nowadays. Yeah. Just... I mean, you get, oh, there's actually, there's actually an audio uh, version of um, my first book. There's a Kindle version of it as well. Yeah. So Perfect. You find and it. your social media, I know we can find you oh, on yes. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So Instagram is Laura Catena MD as in medical doctor. Uh, and then um, my Twitter is Laura Catena, but I don't use it a lot. So it's mostly Instagram that I'm at. And Catena Wines. It's all and also Cat oh, Catena Wines. Uh, yeah, they're very, very active. And they answer yes. your questions, anything you need. Yes. Yes. Laura, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank okay. you. And continue success to you. And um, I, I hope to see you again soon. Hopefully in Argentina. I hope so. Oh, I hope so, Yvette. And and great success to you and all the wonderful women that that follow your advice. I am one of them. So thank, thank you, you very thank much. you so much, and okay. thank you all for joining us on this special episode of AW Confidential Podcast. Talk to you soon.